Uh, we've talked a lot about prayer, uh, but uh, these gentlemen and I here, we're going to have a conversation specifically about, um, well, about the specifics. Uh, what, what does this look like for us in ministry? Um, how does prayer shape us in ministry? Um, uh, what do we do when we leave from here? Um, and how can we pastor and, and how can we serve the Lord in ministries uh, uh, prayerfully? And so that's what we're going to be, uh, or the discussion we're going to be having. I've got three uh, distinguished guests here, and why don't we start off with just introducing yourselves. Tell us who you are. Tell us uh, uh, where you are and how you are serving the Lord right now. My name is Larry Trotter. I'm one of the pastors at North Wake Church, which is just down the road. You probably drove by it on your way here this morning. I pastored there for 28 years, planted the church, helped plant the church about 28 years ago. And uh, I have five kids and four grandsons. I'm John Anwachekwa. I live in Atlanta. I've been there for the past 10 years. Um, I pastor a church right outside of downtown in a place called the West End. Um, let me see. I've got one wife, Chandra, and I've got, um, yeah, it's a good thing, right? Uh, and I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Ava, who I'm excited to see in a few hours. My name is Keith Whitfield. I serve here at Southeastern. I'm the dean of grad studies and teach theology here as well. Uh, I've been here just over seven years. And I also have one wife, um, and so uh, that's a good thing. We have that in common. I have two kids. Um, I have a 15-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old son. My daughter got her learning, learner's permit this week, so uh, we are on the road. Watch out. You may want to try to get out of town as quick as you can today, um, but we're having fun. Uh, my, my wife, when I was pastoring, I, I used to just kind of, you know, have a little fun with her, and I would say, uh, hey, sweetheart, um, is it okay if I call you my first lady? And, and she would look at me, she was like, first lady? I'm your only lady. <laughs> so I also have one wife. Um, just want to let you know that. Uh, all right, let's talk prayer. Let's talk prayer. Uh, for each of you, uh, do you have any planned uh, structures for, for praying, uh, not just in your own personal life, but, but um, uh, praying for yourself personally, but praying for your congregation as well, uh, or for Dr. Whitfield in your, in, uh, here at Southeastern? Do you have any planned structures for, for concentrated prayer? Yeah, um, one of the things that I picked up from Mark Dever, which was years ago. I spent some time in D.C., um, and I was helped by the way that he, uh, Mark carried around in his Bible. So if you find him today, he'll have the directory of his church with pictures and names of all the folks that are at his church. And every morning as he sits down and reads God's word, he'll take two pages of that and pray through all of those names. Um, I don't use a whole lot of paper, so I just have everybody's contact information that's a part of my church in my phone, and I've got a reminder set up each day of the week. Mm -hmm. And so I pray through two letters of the alphabet. So this morning I prayed for all the folks in our church whose last name 
starts with I and J. And so as I sit down, as I'm reading my word, I'm trying to pray for them, with them. And if I get to a name and I don't have specifics of what goes on in their life and I don't really know how to pray, I'll just shoot them a little text or an email and say, hey, I prayed for you this morning and realized that all of my prayers for you were generic. Um, is there anything specific that I can be praying uh, with you and for you about? And so it's just a good way to kind of keep that touch point with the yeah, church. And so yeah. try to put that into practice. Yeah. Yeah. We do a similar thing on Mondays in our staff meetings. Uh, we divide up a number of members of our congregation and one of our, one of our staff gathers prayer requests from those people for that week and then we pray for them during our staff meeting and then follow that up with a note of encouragement let them know that we've, we've been praying for them well, I pastored for five years in Virginia and I practiced got it from Mark Dever as well and the very same thing I always carried around a church directory uh, in my current role uh, my structured prayers uh, we have different events or different meetings uh, throughout the you know, academic calendar, and, and in those prayers or in those meetings, there are certain things to pray for. So that's that's one thing. Um, but the other thing is, and um, this may be not exactly what you're looking for, but um, every time I walk out of a class, I, I always pray begin beginning of the class. But when I walk out of the class, I think about the things that we talked about, and try to remember that the, it's not just instruction. Something spiritual was happening in the classroom, mm -hmm. and I pray about the content and pray that anything that was left unclear or anything that was confused or anything that students are wrestling with, that the Lord would continue to work those ideas and those concepts in their lives. And so as I walk, I'm walking out back to my office, it's a, I'm, I'm praying through that walk about the, what we went through in class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. Do you all have any, um, any specific places, you know, like the Lord would, uh, would go to the mountain to pray. You know, you'd see, you'd hear that over and over again in the gospels. Do you, do you have any specific locations where you, where you'd say, you know, I, I really devote myself to prayer in, in this spot. This is my, my prayer closet or my, my, my prayer mountain or something like that. I, I don't, um, my spot is on the go. To, to be candid, and I, I know there's some real liabilities with that, um, but that's just the way the Lord's wired me. I'm always on the go. I'm an active person. I think clearest when I'm on the, on the go. I'm more in tune with what's going on around me. Um, so I take walks around campus regularly, and when I'm walking around campus, I, I'm praying. Um, and, and so there's just, there's, that, that's my spot. Um, I know there's real advantages to having that sort of tucked away, pulled away spot where you can focus. I find I focus better when I'm moving, um, and so I've, I've built in that sort of rhythm. Uh, I can tell you where it's not. It's not my office. Um, once I get into the office, I enter a different frame of mind. Not that it, Hopefully it's not a prayerless frame of mind, but it's a, often a distracted frame of mind. So uh, I don't find that it's a, it's a good place for me to try to have um, a lengthy season of undistracted prayer. Uh, we do have a screen porch on the back of our house that I love. There's a daily rhythm that I have of going back there and, uh, and sitting in the mornings or in the evenings. Uh, it's undistracted, it's private, it's beautiful. So I go back there a lot. So for me, I'm, uh, I'm real ADD at times. So it's not about the place as much as what I 
like have in my hand. So it's with a, you know, a pen and a notebook as I'm yeah, starting to write. That sometimes it helps me to just, to write out my thoughts towards God just to stay locked in because if I don't, um, yeah, everything is a distraction for me. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. A pen and paper, not an iPhone. Right, no, 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 uh-huh. not an iPhone. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, well, uh, how, how do you lead your, your congregations uh, to pray? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing for you to have that, that, that regular practice um, of, of prayer for yourself, but obviously as a shepherd, um, uh, how do you lead your people uh, or your students uh, to, to pray? I teach theology. Um, so one of the ways that I led the congregation when I was pastoring, and the way I, one of the ways I lead um, our students is with a theological insight. Um, and, I, and I think this is foundational, is that what we're seeking to see happen is God's work, not ours. Um, and so even as we work out our, fear, our salvation and fear trembling, this is God's work, not ours, uh, ultimately. Um, as we're, as we're um, pouring out our lives to minister to other people, it's ultimately God's work. When I'm preparing to teach, this is God's work, not mine. Um, and so I just try to keep that plank in front of folks that whatever you're seeking to do in the name of Christ is God's work and not yours, and you have to depend upon his power. Um, so I know there's, there's practical things you can do to help people um, you know, put that into practice, but if we don't have that sort of foundational orientation, um, then uh, I, you know, I don't think we're going we're gonna to depend upon the Lord the way we need to. We tend to think along the lines of kind of these two worlds that we want to be in that um, we want to pray whenever we gather. So anytime we're together as a church, we want to pray. So Sunday service, we don't want prayers to just be a transition. We want it to be its own thing. And so in that time, we, we show that it's a very real part of all of what we do. And then from up front, as we have folks lead, we model the way that we hope that, that they would pray. So the way that I start to pray for folks through the week and our pastors pray for folks through the week. On stage, we'll pray about those same folks by name in front of the whole church. And what we find is invariably week after week, people that are prayed for or folks that weren't at church but were, were prayed for, word gets back to them. And they say, hey, I heard that y'all prayed for me. Thanks. I didn't even know that y'all knew this. And so that starts to teach the church how to pray. So we want to pray when we gather, and then we want to gather to pray, right? So prayer is not just its own thing that we do whenever we're all here, but we want to make sure that times where we could be somewhere else, that we all want to get here just so that we can pray and entreat God and show that that's an important thing and a good work. So those are ways that we try to help our church learn how to pray. We have a, a monthly Sunday night prayer gathering, and just personally, it's been important for me to stay um, visibly engaged in the leadership of that time um, so that the congregation knows that I value that time. It's hard to get them back out on a Sunday night for that gathering. Uh, my example helps them. But uh, we focus a lot. I, I personally focus a lot on the prayer life of our leaders and um, 
we work hard to stretch and infuse in them longer practices of solitude. Uh, so uh, our elder retreats begin with a half day of solitude prayer. We, we, we'll go to a place together and then uh, the brothers will divide up and they'll spend that first half a day. We just had a planning retreat for our staff. The first half of the day in a day retreat was given to personal um, time alone with God, a longer period of time so that they have time to motor down and really connect with God deeply. So we try to infuse that into our leaders. Um, our staff are expected to have personal day away from the office in prayer for their ministry and their people and their own soul on a recurring basis, either monthly or quarterly, as part of their job. Uh, we want them praying alone with God for longer periods of time. We feel like that's essential for, if, if we're going to give people Christ, we feel like that's really essential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Pastor uh, Larry, I want to uh, speak to you uh, personally. Uh, last year uh, was my first year here at Southeastern. And we had come from a, a ministry in Baltimore. I was pastoring in, out in Baltimore. Uh, it was a, a, a great time of ministry, but it was an exhausting time of ministry. Uh, so much so that by the time we had gotten here, we didn't realize that there was, uh, there was um, a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that we had to work through, a lot of stuff that we had to, that we had to deal with. Uh, just from being in ministry in an inner city through riots and, 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 and all of these types of things. We were just kind of, you know, hand on the plow, just keep looking forward, just keep moving, you know, and, and, and don't take that time to reflect. And someone invited us to a, uh, a retreat. It was a, a, um, a, a prayer retreat, but it was, it was for couples. And you had hosted it and, and Northwake had hosted it. And, uh, and we were wondering, because it was during one of our break times, and we were just like, I don't know if I want to do this. And, uh, but we, we went anyways, and I uh, came out of there so refreshed, and Annie also, we, we came out so refreshed. And one of the things that we recognized through it all was that we hadn't had a time of concentrated focus on the Lord, extended concentrated focus on the Lord in a while. Like it had been a while. And to be in that context, we were out in the mountains, uh, Lake Junaluska. Uh, that was such a refreshment for myself. And, and I've kind of become one of those guys here at, at Southeastern to say, hey, if you can get away, get away, have some time, you know, uh, uh, of, of solitude with the Lord. Could you, could you speak into that a little bit more? Yeah, we, um, we, we just did a couple of these. This is the best covert marriage work that we do, right? We, uh, we take uh, just a handful of our leadership couples away for a couple's solitude retreat, which sounds like an oxymoron, but they get their morning alone with the Lord. They share a meal together with the other couple, another couple that's on the retreat. They get, then the afternoons are spent together as couples talking about what the Lord and praying about what the Lord said to them that morning. Not talking about children, not talking about money, not talking about church, but talking about the soul work that God is doing that morning during that alone time. And that's the conversation that gets squeezed out of our marriages most of the time. You know? And so, so we afford that for them, and then the evenings are spent in collective worship and sharing your prayer for one another with this small group of leaders. And we do that for back-to-back -back days. 
So they do it two, day, two full days in a row because we're trying to stretch them and grow their love for communion with Christ in a significant way as couples. And, and really, it is the best covert marriage work that, that we do because it's not, we don't talk about marriage. But when two people draw near to Christ, they draw near to each other. And it's, a, it's really good work. So, so what do y'all do when, um, when you're just not feeling it, right? Uh, what, what are, maybe I should split that into a couple of questions. Uh, one, what are some specific obstacles, you know, that kind of drain your, your affection for, uh, for, for communion with God? And, and then what are the things that you do to overcome those obstacles, uh, you know, kind of push through those obstacles so that you are still spending that time uh, with the Lord. So I, I, I just want to poll people here real quick. Uh, raise your hand if prayer is or has been a big struggle for you. Okay. I think that's most of us in here. Um, it. I don't know what it is, but prayer is just a struggle, right? So I think the things that have been the biggest encouragement to me um, is seeing that I'm not the only one that has this problem, right? There's a few other folks in here that share that. Uh, but two, I think one of the things that I've really learned is like, like struggling with prayer is not like the chicken pox, right? You find this one thing that works you solve it, and you never struggle again. Um, it's more like the, the flu. There's a bunch of things that can give you the flu, and you can fix it this time, but it'll come back. And what I find is that you know, hard times can make us struggle with prayer because we're mad and angry at God, and we don't want to pray. Prosperity can make us struggle with prayer because we have more than what we need, and we don't feel like we have to pray. So there's all of these things that make a struggle and what I found is one of the best tools for me and selfishly the reason why we have a corporate prayer meeting in the life of the church is not just for the rest of the church but it's for me and for my own heart and soul as well that I find just being around people that pray or can pray that even if I don't have the right words to say or I don't feel like praying that as I hear them pray I, I just feel like whatever they have, I want that. They've said what was on my heart, and now I don't have to come up with the words to say it. I can just say, me too, amen, right? Uh, as folks pray, I get a chance to hear, man, they're concerned with that. I didn't even know that I should be concerned with that, but now I do know that I should be concerned with that, and I'm con concerned with it, and I want that peace, and I don't have to say those words. I just have to say, me too. And so what I found is that when I'm feeling dry or when I don't want to pray, the best thing for me to do is to surround myself with folks that do want to pray. And there's just something about that that just relights it and re-sparks it in my own heart and soul. Yeah. So I'm mindful of three significant things uh, that hinder prayer. Uh, one is our frame of reference. So prayer, prayer is before it is something we do, it is someone we meet. If you don't think about prayer like that, then it's just one more thing on your to-do list. 
But if prayer is sitting in the company of Jesus, then I like that. I don't know about you, but I kind of like that idea. Now, if it's one more thing on my to-do list, I don't need anything on my to-do list, and I don't look forward to that. I don't delight in it. So prayer is delighting in the company of God before it is anything else. And if it's not that, then things get twisted up, and, and the joy gets robbed out of us. Um, second thing is simply pace of life. Um, you know, you sit down, and you have a time set aside for prayer, and you're sitting there for 15 minutes, and you're looking at your phone, and you're thinking about your day, and you're running hard, and you're thinking, well, that was 15 wasted minutes. I'm not even sure, I'm not even sure God was anywhere near me. And I, and I think you just have to outlast that. You need more than 15 minutes. You have to set longer blocks of time as a regular part of your rhythm as a leader so that you can outlast the insanity that is your pace of life. You have to say, um, you have to be willing to say, God, I will trust you with the unfinished work that happens when I set aside time to pray. It's more important than what I do. And again, if, it's, if you're sitting with Jesus, it's a whole lot, it's a different frame of reference. The last thing is simply sin. I can be Captain Obvious. Sin. And so I would say a daily rhythm of confessing your sin is so very important. If you're not familiar with the Examine by Ignatius, I wouldn't read his work, but there are other adaptations of it that are much shorter. It's how you end your day. You look back at your day. It's the last thing you do with your day. You read, you read the word. I read, a, I read a psalm. I look back on my day, give thanks to God for his grace, and I confess any known sin. And if you don't have a practice of daily confession, I'll be honest, I went a long time in my life where I did not have a disciplined practice of confession. Um, that, that can greatly affect your prayer life if, you, if you're not intentionally inviting God to examine your soul and forsaking any known sin. And, and I do this just in a few minutes most, the end of most days. It's a short practice, but it's an invaluable practice for me. I don't have a whole lot to add. Maybe um, just another way of saying what's already been said. Um, um, when it, for my spiritual life, the, the allegory that I've appropriated, it wasn't an allegory at the time, but I've appropriated it as an allegory. It's a story in the Old Testament of wrestling with God. Um, and I'm a scrappy guy. I've always been a scrappy guy. Um, and so it, this, this, this fits me. Um, and... There's times it's hard and it's a struggle and I know it's right and I struggle with God until he blesses me. You know, whether I'm reading his word, I don't, I don't finish reading the word until I hear his word. Um, and, and I pray and I wrestle until, um, until I have the awareness and the perspective that Larry's talking about that I'm before the face of God. Um, and that it's reoriented in my life. And um, what John has shared about other people there are people in my life that I know that when I'm, when I'm struggling, it's not, a, it's not just me and God. Uh, he's brought company of people around me to struggle with. And there's people in my life when I know I'm struggling, I've got to go have lunch with them. I've got to text them and say, look, I'm struggling. And they just, I mean, they, and they're, they come alongside, you know, and, and with the fight with me. And so I invite people into that struggle. Um, but for me, my spiritual life's been a struggle. Um, and I, I think that's just the way the Lord sort of oriented my way I think about life. But um, prayer is a struggle. Daily Bible reading is a struggle. You know, walking in the Spirit is a struggle. Um, 
but I roll up my sleeves and scrap until um, until the Lord blesses me. I'll ask one more question, and then I'd like to open it up for uh, for you guys here. If there are any uh, questions that you you may have, we've, we've got a, a little bit of time, so maybe about two or three questions uh, after this one. Uh, but what books? You know, we're a seminary. You know, eventually we're going to start talking books. Um, what what books have have helped you prioritize prayer in your life? Let me, let me, I'll just keep you from prayer, uh, from pride, uh, John. Um, uh, I'll, so I'll just, I'll just jump in and recommend John's little, little book on prayer. Um, uh, so uh, if you haven't seen it yet, um, and if you haven't flipped through it yet, it's a fantastic little book um, on, uh, on prayer. You can read it in, in minutes, uh, but it is a book that I, I would encourage you to kind of linger with. Uh, uh, it's, it's just helpful, helpful insights uh, that that have personally jumpstart jump my uh, uh, my own uh, uh, time with the Lord. And so, thank you very much for that. Yeah, and uh, and and you can thank me later for I, keeping you from self promotion. Checks in the mail. There checks we go, the bro. Uh, but what what books have helped you prioritize prayer? So I'm gonna throw out a very quick one, and this is one that you could literally read in 20 minutes. It's a booklet by J.C. Ryle called A Call to Prayer. Um, Amazon, it's $2. If you have iBooks on your phone, there's a free version. So you could download it, read it this afternoon. Personally, for me, uh, page for page, and it's only like 30 pages, but page for page, it has been um, yeah, one of the greatest resources that I've ever read on prayer. And uh, like HB said last night, you know, so many times with prayer, we kind of feel like goaded into prayer. You should pray more. But just being reminded that all through Scripture, when Jesus talks about prayer, he never motivates people to pray like that. It's always incentive, outcome. Look at what you're missing out on. Take advantage of it. And that little book. I mean, there's gold on each page. And one thing that he just says there in the book is um, the only way to be happy in a world such as this one is to constantly cast your cares on the Lord. It's our refusal to do that and our insistence on holding our own burdens that is actually the source of much of our anxiety, worry, and depression. And it's just a phenomenal resource. So I'll stop there. Yeah. I'm going to say a whole lot about myself in this comment, probably more than I want to say this morning. Um, I've read a number of books on prayer. Uh, they've been instructive to me. Uh, I'm a trained in theology. Most time when I read, I'm thinking theologically. Um, so none of those books, they've framed out my theology of prayer, but none of them really helped me in practice of prayer. Um, Paul's prayers in the New Testament. Uh, that, I mean, those are the most formative um, texts for my prayer life, and it's that, uh, back to the point I said earlier, Paul's writing the scriptures, inspired by God, but he still felt the necessity to start most of his letters with a prayer. I mean, he, this is the word of God, but he knows for the word of God to do the work of God in the lives of God's people, that prayer has to happen. And so that just instructs me. Um, 
And then not only that, the how he prays and what he's praying about. And so it just reorients the subject matter of my prayer. And when I have a, a person or a topic that I'm praying about, I think about you know these prayers and how Paul went after praying. And this just informs my, my language, my, what, what I really want to see happen here. And Paul informs me in that. So, um, so again, saying more about myself there than I am about the books I've read. But um, similarly, I, I would say uh, I've been deeply marked by um, studying Jesus' practice of solitude in longer times in prayer. There's a handful of incidents uh, that indicate that this is a regular practice of Jesus, and that's been super helpful for me. Um, similar to Keith in that regard. Um, if, if you haven't read A Praying Life by Paul Miller, uh, you want to just see some ways an exemplary prayer life that will encourage you and give you some neat approaches, that, that one's awesome. Let me give you a couple that are like, these are not nine marks books. They're not on the approved reading list. Have your antenna way, your discernment antenna way up on these because they're from different traditions. Um, there's, a, there's a book, if, if you want to read the, the most helpful work I've ever read on um, how helplessness fuels prayer, it's by a, I think he's Norwe a Norwegian Lutheran. This will be the best book by a Norwegian Lutheran you've ever read on prayer. And it's called Prayer by a guy named O, just the letter O, Halsby. And uh, you, can, you might be able to find it online free as a PDF. It's an older book. And if, if you like the idea of sitting down with a godly grandpa on a cup of coffee and he's going to encourage you in prayer, this is Halsby. That's what, that's what he does. Now, if we're going to go even farther afield, there's a book called Praying the Jesus Prayer by Frederica Matthews Green. She's Eastern Orthodox. And um, I, I can't, the repetition that they use, I haven't been able to train my soul in that practice, but uh, there's a prayer that Jesus loved to answer, and it, and it went like this, uh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And uh, she taught me how to pray that frequently in situations that I don't know what to pray for myself and for others. And she's, uh, she makes it delightly accessible for a, um, for a Baptist to access an orthodox approach to prayer. She does a really, really good job. And then I, I would also say the creeds. Um, I use the Apostles' Creed on a, almost a daily basis. I don't, uh, many of us are Baptists. Uh, we are non-creedal people, but that doesn't mean I have to be a non-creedal person. So I can learn from the creeds, I can read the creeds, I can recite the creeds, I can delight in the creeds, and they affirm my faith when I pray through them. Martin Luther recommends this in his letter to his barber, uh, Peter the Barber. If you haven't read that, that's awesome. Uh, he's going to teach you how to pray the Ten Commandments, uh, the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer as his, his prompts for prayer. And those are all worthy. Uh, Luther is well worth reading his letter to his barber. Literally, it's a letter he wrote to his barber on how to pray. It's amazing. By the way, fellas, uh, Luther talked about prayer in the barber shop. Think about that next time you go to the barber. Uh, there's some amazing opportunities and conversations that you could have uh, just sitting around in the barber shop. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's, that's encouraging. And by the way, I'm, I'm really encouraged uh, that we asked about helpful books on prayer, and, and two-thirds of the group said the Bible. 
Um, that, that's, that's, that's encouraging. The Bible. <laughs> there we go. We're 100%. We're batting 1,000. Uh, one wife. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Well, Brandon, why don't you come over here? Uh, we're going to open it up to a, a couple of questions. If anybody has any questions, we only have time for about two or three or so. But Brandon's going to give you the mic, and then we'll have a we'll, we'll have a, a shot at answering the question here. We do a corporate uh, prayer, and we've been trying different um, responses for people. So on your knees, raise your hands, little groups. Just thinking in, in your corporate prayers that you've done in your church, what have been some responses you've called people to respond in ways that were creative or they were, they actually did? Because a lot of times it's just like, hey, you don't want to just, hey, put your head down, think about what I just, what we just read in the Word or something like that, but just ideas that maybe y'all have done that, that people have really responded to in your corporate gatherings. Our church is so diverse, so many diverse backgrounds that have come from you know, Pentecostal, Kojic, uh, Assemblies of God, Presbyterian, like uh, the backgrounds of the folks are so diverse that when they kind of come in, they all do their own thing anyway, so we haven't had to, you know, she's jumping, spinning and twirling, he refuses to clap his hands to any song, right? So it's like, yeah, he's not even gonna clasp his hands in prayer because he, he'd have to clap first. So it's just like, it's been so diverse that we haven't had to do anything. Well, I, I don't know that we do anything creative. Some of the, those sound like beautiful things. What we have found is that when we gather for our prayer gathering and it's an hour of prayer, that's terrifying to a lot of people. And they envision having to kneel in one place with their hands folded and their eyes closed for an hour. And, and that's like a nap is the only thing they do that, that approximates that. So a diversity of breaking that time up. So we sing our prayers. We do them in small groups. We pray collectively. We are guided by the scripture. A, a diversity of stuff in a longer time like that really seems to help our people. Yeah, one of the things we've done, we got this from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said about the prayer meetings that we would have. Uh, he, he said, uh, I love my churches much as I love my wife, or I, I love my church about as much as I love my wife, and if anybody threatened to come in and mess with my wife, I would send them on their way home. And that's how he would describe people that would come into the prayer meetings and pray too long. So he said, if you wanna pray too long, right, if you wanna stand up here and pray for five, six, seven minutes, he said, um, why don't you go and pray at home? Because his thing was that there's just something, especially when you have a group of folks that come in, that can really sap the life out of a room if somebody thinks that they'll be heard for their many words. There's nothing wrong with a long prayer, but what we do, we gather 7 p.m. at the end of a long day, and we say, man, if we're all going to be here, I think what'll be less intimidating, what'll get the most engagement from folks and will help them to be more engaged is not three people praying 20 paragraphs each, but 20 people praying 
three sentences. Folks say, oh, I can do that. Let's offer these short requests to God and go and go and go. And it's like, and the time flies and folks look up and say, man, I can't believe it's only been an hour instead of, man, yeah, it feels like he was up there for an hour. And it's like, <laughs> at 7.15 and yeah, so. I don't preach every week anymore, so why don't I be the first one to, to jump in? I don't know why, but uh, it, it, it doesn't, um, I'll do it anyway. Um, I, I'll just go back to what I've said over and over again um, in, this morning, is that what you're doing is the work of the Lord. Um, and what, when you're preparing a sermon, you're, you're preparing to, to proclaim the, the word of the Lord for the people of God, and you want the God to do a work. Um, and that just puts you in the right place in the preparation if, if you can think that clearly. And then when you're moving from exegesis to application, that's really where that's important. Because you're like, I want to see this take place, but I have, it's not going to be based on my words. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how, how well I craft the words or how well I explain it. Um, the application of this is a spiritual reality. Um, and so... Um, you know, I, I think through application as, God, this is what I want to see you do. Um, do this work among your people. Help me, help me cast this in front of them the best, you, the best I'm able to. And then as I'm doing the application and the message, I'm clear to them. This is not, this is not their work or my work. This is the God's work in them. Um, and so they've got to receive the application in a, in a, a spirit of prayer. Uh, as well, uh, and they've got to take the application and seek to uh, to apply it in a prayerful way, um, and so that's that's been the way that I've I sort of approached that. So I think two things for me. One is um, as I'm getting to the truth of the text. So I'm getting ready to preach on worry in the morning. Um, and because I'm here right now and have been for the past two days, I'm behind on my sermon and I am worried, right? <laughs> but as I'm praying about those things, it's like I take this truth and I do that work in my own heart. And I said, Lord, where am I worried? Like, I'm worried about money. I'm worried about, you know, the first six years of marriage, how... I gave myself to the church in a way that's put us in a place where we may not have enough and retire. I'm yeah, worried. And so these are the things that I'm starting to pray about. Like those are the things that are in my heart and my soul. And then as I start to work through that, what Google has taught me is that the problems that I go through, I'm rarely the only person that goes through them, right? Uh, so then that helps me to get to a, 
layer of depth, and I feel like my sermons and preaching is often very shallow, if not accompanied by prayer, because you just stay in this realm of what I should think and what I should do and not where my heart leans. So that's one. But then two, it helps shape what I feel like that the end goal of preaching is. I think sometimes we hear the end goal of preaching is application, uh, but I think often sometimes a better end goal of preaching is supplication. That I don't want to leave folks here to think that they just need to do things. Um, I want, after I preach, for them to feel like there are things that I need to do, but the things that God has called me to do are impossible unless I rely on him. So I need to rely on him, to trust in him more, and then to do things. So I hope that as I preach at the end, folks' first steps would be, I need to pray to take a hold of this truth, power, and then move on. Yeah, um, honestly, I, I wish I had better prayer practices in my sermon preparation. I really do. I think most of my prayer um, is, and John alluded to it, it's wrestling with my own dark soul, you know. Um, I suffer from the fear of man terribly. I'm, I'm very prideful. Um, and I, and I'm, that's a lot of what I'm wrestling uh, and praying against. Uh, when I'm preparing to preach. But, you know, that little prayer for mercy, I often feel like that's a prayer that I pray when I preach. Lord, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner, so that I might be a vessel to your people. I just, that, there's a lot of wrestling in my own soul that goes on with preaching. Can I add one thing? I was listening to John over here, and he's, the point that he made, I don't want y'all to miss this significance at this point, um, that the goal, what the goal of preaching is, um, application or information is not the goal of preaching it's supplication and transformation um, and that only happens if God speaks um, and if God if God speaks and the people come face to face with the living God through his word um, and then the response is going to be supplication you know they've encountered the living God um, and I I don't know that um, Preaching is always approached that way. Um, and so I, I think this, your, your question starts with, really with the question, what is the preaching event about, yeah. right? Um, and so I think that's, so thanks for your question. I think it really gets to the heart of what the whole, whole preaching event's about. Uh, we've got really just a brief, brief, brief uh, bit of time if you want to ask your question real quickly and then maybe one of you guys answer that question and then we'll wrap up so as condensed version as i can make it i'm reading the first samuel right now and i see the dichotomy between saul and david that saul first acts and then has to seek the lord after he makes a rash decision and then david first seeks the lord and then acts in light of that um so i'm trying to find a balance for myself where you feel things pressed upon you and you want to act on them um, and you're seeking the Lord in prayer but you still don't know what to do but the time to act is now like the time to make the decision so anytime you find yourself in that situation whether it be shepherding or your personal lives how do you strike the balance between not being a Gideon that keeps putting the fleece out and you know testing the Lord in that way uh, you know and having cold feet versus acting rashly and 
doing something out of your own desire and not first seeking the Lord in that in prayer? Um, well, one, I think you're, you're to be commended just that you're wrestling to that point where you don't have, you know, you have to make a decision and you're not, you're not ready yet. Um, Isaiah 30 is an absolutely amazing passage on this, uh, where the, the people run ahead of God and make plans that are not his. They're, they're actually good plans and they're pretty wise military plans, I think, but they're not God's. And he in the strongest of language, condemns him for that. And down in verse 15, it says something like, uh, in, in quietness and rest is your salvation, and repentance and trust is your hope. I'm, I'm butchering it. He said, and it says, but you would have none of it. And I, and I think for most of us, the great problem is that we run ahead of God. So I think, brother, just that you wrestle through to the last minute and are willing to wait, I, th I think you can go with happy confidence that God is going to bless you in whatever course uh, you have to choose to take at the last minute. And sometimes that's what faith is. We don't know. We trust. And so we, we, we go with the best wisdom that we have, and we trust God to work when we have to make that decision. But for most of us, the big problem is Isaiah 30. We're a people enamored with our own plans, and we run ahead of God, and uh, he does not delight in that. Uh, we thank you all so much for being here and for the conversation. Thank you all very much. Uh, why don't we give a hand to our panelists here. And uh, as we close, Pastor Larry, why don't you, uh, if you would, uh, close us out in prayer. So, so Father, this greatest of treasures, uh, your company we often twist into something far less. And um, so we ask for forgiveness for that. And I pray that through the, the beautiful and gifted teaching and preaching of your word this weekend, that you would recalibrate our hearts um, around the truth that prayer is perhaps our greatest joy, that it invites us into your company, our good Father, on whom we can cast our cares. So I pray for each one here, uh, my, my own soul included, that, uh, that this would be for us an ever-increasing joy, that it would spill over from us into the churches we serve, um, and that we would be known as a people of glad prayer who trust their Father to bring good to the, to the world through the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name.